My guest today says that Jesus was not a Christian. What does he mean? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Jesus was not a Christian? I mean, what what exactly does that mean? I mean, he's the Christ, after all. Does that make him the preeminent Christian? Well, this is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. It is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. That means the phone lines are open for your Jewish-related questions of any kind. could be about Israel today and the elections. could be a Hebrew language question. could be a question about Jewish tradition. 866 866- 348-7884. That is 866-34-TRUTH. Any Jewish-related question of any kind. I'll also be letting you know more details about our next tour to Israel. Now is the time to sign up. It is May 2020, which will be here before you know it. My guest, Scott Volk, we have been friends since 1993. We've been working together closely since 1996 And uh, Scott is looking amazingly fit. And we'll have to see. We'll work out together and see if it's just outward appearance. But you're you're looking fit, sharp. Where'd you just uh, come back from, Scott? I just came back from Israel and Greece, and I feel great, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Was that your first time in Greece? First time in Greece. And, bro, I'm telling you, it's an eye-opening thing. You know, you walk where Jesus walks in Israel, and then you go to Greece Seeing where Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, it just really did something for me. It's, it's quite remarkable, and it's something that I'm really looking forward to pursuing in the near future with groups going over with me. So, so friends, we'll tell you about our Israel tour in 2020 in a little while. But, Scott, uh, you have written your first book. I had the joy of writing a foreword to it. Our mutual friend and colleague, Bob Gladstone, uh, helped write the book in terms of checking biblical content on every level. So it's it's a really well-done book, but with a title that some would find provocative, some would find offensive, but is absolutely, undoubtedly true. The title of your book, Jesus Was Not a Christian. So Scott, tell it. Why don't you come up with that title, and what do you mean? Well, interestingly, I remember speaking at our church a number of years ago, Fire Church, and I called you the night before I spoke. I actually, I texted you, bro. And I said, I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm supposed to make a statement in my message. Do you think this is going to be okay? I said, would you agree with me that Jesus was not a Christian? I think your response to me, bro, was something like, of course he wasn't a Christian. There was no such thing as Christianity when he walked the face of the earth. So I made that statement that day. And then as I was uh, writing this book, I really, really wrestled with the title. As a matter of fact, my wife didn't like the title, and I wouldn't have titled this unless she firmly was in uh, in agreement with me that we should title it because it's a little bit offensive. I got an email three weeks ago from an older gentleman in Mobile, Alabama, who's known me for years. And he said, I'm so, so sorry. I will not buy your book because the title is disgraceful. Mm. And I just, you know, when he said that, I just really responded very, very nicely and I told him, I said, here's the, here's the facts. When Jesus came, he was born into a Jewish home. He lived a Jewish life. 
He was called a rabbi. He died king of the Jews. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Everything about our Messiah is Jewish. And there was no such thing as Christians. And you yourself say, how, I mean, how many times was the word Christian even used in the book of Acts? Three times or twice. Twice in Acts, three times the whole New Testament. Three times in the whole New Testament. We Listen, if somebody comes up to me and says, Scott, are you a Christian? I'm going to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. But the fact of the matter is, is Christi- what Christianity has done to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah over history is really incredible. I mean, I would venture to say if you just did a Google search right now for images of Jesus, you'd have very few, if any, showing him to be a Jewish man. I mean, he's, he's going to look more like a Catholic figure. Well, you talked about Greece. I was just in Greece and saw all these churches where there are images of Jesus. And bro, he doesn't look anything like a Jewish man. So the, the purpose of my book was really to get people to open up their hearts and minds to the fact that we have a Jewish Messiah, that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And now we as the church, Jew and Gentile alike, who love and serve our Messiah, have a debt to Israel. And that debt is we are called to be a light to the nations and to provoke Israel to jealousy. That's really the heart of why I wrote, I wrote this book. So are, are you saying in some way that Jewish followers of Jesus are superior to Gentile followers of Jesus or that it's, it's sinful to identify as a Christian? Is that what you're saying or implying? Well, that's, that's a great question. No, as a matter of fact, I'm saying the exact opposite of that. When God looks down, he doesn't see Scott the Jew and Joe the Gentile. He sees two. Or, or Scott the Jew and his wife Beth the Arab. That's right. He doesn't. That's, that's, that's even a better one. He sees his kids. We've been grafted into a tree, Jew and Gentile alike, into the olive tree, and now we're sons and daughters of the Messiah. God has a purpose for the Jewish people. He's got a purpose for the people who were not born in Jewish homes. Christians, really Christians, or, or, or people who follow the Lord, who are not born into Jewish homes, have a call on their life. The church of the Messiah has a call. Jewish people are not higher than non-Jewish people. As a matter of fact, I think that God chose the Jewish people to bring the light of the nations into the world, and now he's calling on the church, Jew and Gentile alike, to bring the light of the nations back to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I I just want our, our listeners and viewers to think about something for a minute. Words can change in meaning over a period of time, Yeah. right? So if you go back to the Trump campaign and Hillary Clinton referenced a basket of deplorables, the followers of Donald Trump. So now deplorables for the, the Trump followers is, is a word of honor. Yeah, we are the deplorables. So it, it went from being a badge of dishonor to being a badge of honor simply in a matter of days, a matter of minutes, really, that people say, that's us. We're the deplorables. A day before that, you wouldn't say I'm a deplorable person. Now it's like I'm a deplorable and that's a badge of honor. I just use that as a little, little example. So in, in the days of Jesus, the term Christian didn't exist. The, the followers of Jesus, Yeshua, recognized him as Mashiach, Messiah. Right. And then in the, the years that followed, it was, it was hard for the Jewish followers of Jesus to realize this message goes to the Gentiles too. When it started to happen in Acts 11, you have a community of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together the God of Israel, mm. and following the Messiah of Israel, they, they had no name for that. They had no word for that. And the community, in apparently a derogatory way, started to call them Christians. 
In fact, some manuscripts say Christians that, that or, or some of the ancient uh, testimonies because they it was Christos, Christos. What they didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> Uh, and so they were just like these Christ guys. It, it would be like, you know, Volkians. It, right. Those that go on to the Scott Volkter are Volkians <laughs> or Brownites or something. That's all it meant. It didn't mean you weren't a Jew anymore. It's just that you're following this guy. You're one of, you're one of his. And then over the centuries, it took on certain meaning. So that if a Jewish person says, I'm a Christian, it's like, oh, you're no longer a Jew? Oh, so does that mean you're Catholic? Does that mean you're Greek Orthodox? Does that mean you're Protestant? Does that mean you agree with the Crusades? Does that mean, I mean, what does it actually mean? The meaning has changed so dramatically that, for example, if you're in Israel and you tell the person you're a Christian, that means specifically you're Catholic or Greek Orthodox. That's right. That's, that's what right. it really means. And, and you're not Jewish. If you say, I'm a Messianic Jew, many understand what that means. Oh, you're a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. So, Scott, walk us through your book, Jesus Was Not a Christian. It's laid out systematically, clearly. Very, very readable. Just one of our common friends, a pastor, sent an unbelievably glowing review. I mean, one of the most amazing reviews of a book I've ever read. Just blown <laughs> away by it. Uh, and you didn't pay him to do it. And he actually him? read it. So, yeah, <laughs> he so, read it. He actually read it uh, and, and in detail. But, uh, Scott, take us through Jesus Was Not a Christian. Go, go through the chapters. Yeah. And first of all, I just want to say this, bro. This book wouldn't be in my hands if it wasn't for your influence on my life. Really traveling around the world together and, and sitting in meetings where you would teach on the topic of Israel and God's purposes for Israel never really meant anything to me until God touched my heart. But after, after that happened and after that revelation, I really feel like so much of what you've sown into me is, is borne out in the pages of this book. So the fact that you wrote the forward to this is so wonderfully uh, amazing to me. So thank you for that. The, the book, it's, it's a very easy to read. You could probably read this book in one sitting. Uh, people have done it. There's uh, nine chapters. The first half chapter simply entitled Jesus Was Not a Christian. Some of the things that we're talking about, his disciples had uh, Jewish names. They were Jewish. All of the early believers were Jewish. It just simply talks about Wait, the Are fact you saying that Peter didn't wear a cross? Peter did not wear a cross. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> That's just... right. But, I mean, you yourself, you know, when, when you read... The, the Jewish New Testament, and you read the names of the disciples themselves, that alone gives you an indication like, wait, maybe our religion does have something to do with the Hebraic roots of the faith. I talk about God who had a covenant love and historic love with his people Israel long before Yeshua, Jesus came. He made promises to Israel that that are still today in fact, as, as, as vitally important today as they were when he made them 3,500 years ago. We talk about God as a covenant-keeping God. The fact that when he makes a promise, he keeps it to a thousand generations. So those promises to Israel are as valid today as they were when he made them. And he's looking for us, the church, to be the instruments of his glory where Israel is concerned. And then the final, or three of the last four chapters are really not the favorite part of my book. It's entitled, The God Who Gives Life to the Dead. And um, I just, if, can I just read a quick yeah. paragraph from this? I love it when an author reads from his own book. Oh, that, that means that, he really <laughs> Well, you taught me well. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> there, there is a pattern throughout Scripture we cannot ignore. It is undeniable and indisputable, like a DNA code embedded into the cells of salvation history. It holds a message of profound hope for all believers, but it especially holds a message of hope for Israel. God raises the dead. 
Over and over, this pattern appears in the Bible from creation to judgment and everywhere in between. Its sheer consistency demands our attention and inspires our faith. We must allow God's strategy of resurrection to touch our hearts. If we do not, we will fail to grasp his heart for Israel, his future intentions for Israel, and our calling into his plan for Israel. Throughout scripture, God gives life to the dead. And in the same way that we who were once dead are now alive in Messiah Jesus, so also Israel that is really living apart from God right now, bro. The Bible says one day all Israel shall be saved. And it's just a remarkable thing to me. I mean, think about this. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of those patriarchs of our faith were married to women who were incapable of bearing children. Isaac's wife, uh, Jacob's wife, all of these wombs that were dead produced life that eventually produced the Messiah. That's kind of a remarkable thing. So friends, Israel's salvation matters to you, matters to me. All right, phone lines are open. If you have a Jewish-related question, 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. We are right now in the very sacred time called Yamim Nora'im, the days of awe on the biblical calendar. Those words are not found in the Bible, but this is developed by Jewish tradition that between the blowing of the shofar, the trumpet blast, and the first day of the seventh month, up until the tenth day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is a day of testing and soul-searching and repentance. So it's a great time to pray for Jewish people around the world, that they be deeply convicted of their sins, as only the Holy Spirit can convict that they would realize, even with all their praying and crying out for mercy on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that they cannot be saved outside of Messiah's blood, and that they would turn to him and be saved. My guest, Scott Volk, author of the book, Jesus Was Not a Christian. It is not a slam on Christians. It is not an attack on (laughs) Christian faith. It is saying, let's remember Jesus, Yeshua, his roots, who he is, and then how the body can come together for the salvation of Israel. Scott, you mentioned the Jewish New Testament, David Stern's rendering, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. These are the names of the 12 emissaries, Hmm. right? 12 apostles, right? Right. 12 emissaries. First, Shimon called Kepha and Andrew's brother, Yaakov ben Zavdai and (laughs) Yochanan, his brother, Philip and Bartalmai, Taoma and Matijahu, the tax collector, Yaakov bar and Tadai, Shimon the Zealot, and Yehuda from Kriot, who betrayed him. Unbelievable. Uh, look, there is a guy that's way out, totally bizarre teaching, King James-only guy that claims in order to be saved, you have to say the name Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we laugh, but it's, it's that pathetic. If you, if you said Jesus, he wouldn't have known who you were talking about. If you said Yeshua... He would have turned around. Yep, and, yep. and if you said Mary, his mother wouldn't have turned around. If you said Miriam, she would have. Now, I'm not saying you have to use those names today. Right. It's just to remember the Jewish womb out of which this faith was birthed. And because Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, he is therefore the Savior of the world. Right. Scott, why should Joe Christian, Jane Christian, 
raising their family, seeking to live a godly life. Uh, they, they are homeschooling their kids, working hard in their jobs, faithful attending their church. They, they give to world missions. They seek to be a blessing in their neighborhood. Why in the world should they care about Israel? They've got enough on their plate. <laughs> they have a heart for missions. There may be not any Jews or a lot of Jews in their community. Why in the world should they care? Aren't you just adding another burden on top of them? Well, here's a remarkable thing, bro. I was born a Jew myself. I am a follower of Yeshua, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and the Messiah of the world. Yet I could have cared less about Israel and God's heart for Israel. So I wouldn't blame anybody if they currently don't have a quote-unquote burden for Israel. But when we really look at scriptures with an open heart, when we see that God still loves Israel, that Jesus loves Israel, that he wept over Jerusalem, that he's not coming back until Israel welcomes him back, surely we ourselves must be burdened like he. Look, if we're followers of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, we ought to care about the things that he cares about. He cares about all the nations of the world. He told his disciples, his emissaries, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he also prioritized Israel. He came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, when Paul, Rabbi Saul, Shaul, had a revelation of Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah, he went to the Jewish synagogues first. It was remarkable to me walking throughout Greece and going into some of these these places where he went to the synagogues first. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to all those who believe to the Jew first. And you know, the, that word first is very, very interesting. I'm reminded of seek ye first the kingdom of God. When we prioritize the kingdom, then everything else falls into place. If the kingdom is just something we think about after we do everything else, It it makes Christianity, it makes our relationship with God a sham. If the gospel's not for the Jew first, it's not for for the world at all. Therefore, as believers in Jesus, if we want to carry an apostolic heart like the Apostle Paul did, we have to have a desire to see Israel saved. And whether or not we meet a Jew face to face in our life, that's almost irrelevant. We need to carry God's heart for those people because until they bow their knee to Messiah, he's not returning. Got it. All right, friends. You have a Jewish-related question, 866-348-7884. In a moment, I want to tell you a few special things about our trip to Israel coming up this May. We've got one bus filled. We're in the process of filling the second. That's all we're taking, two buses, so it's intimate, it's special. It's an amazing trip. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But first, to the phones in Richmond, Virginia, Dustin, thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, how are you there, Dr. Brown? Going very well. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, this is my first time listening to y'all's channel. A uh, buddy of mine, Daniel, here just recommended me to listen to it, and I find it very interesting, first off. Well, thanks. But um, I, was, I was listening in, and I heard you said that, you know, if a person said that they were uh, a Christian, but they were going to ask them, like, you know, are you a Catholic? Are you a person who believes in the Crusades? I was questioning. I, I was a little confused. What did you mean by specifically if a person believed in the crusade. Yeah, I, I could have said that more clearly, so thanks for asking for clarification. When a Jewish person learns church history, a religious Jew, they only learn the really bad parts. They learn about hateful things like John Chrysostom in 386, 387, saying that the synagogue is worse than a brothel and 
all the Jews collectively are, are guilty of the death of Christ, or they think of the Crusader armies marching through Europe in 1096 and adopting the slogan, kill a Jew and save your soul. Or they think of Martin Luther writing in 1523 that Jews, the rabbis, should be forbidden to teach under penalty of death and their synagogue should be set on fire. Or they think somehow that there's a connection between Christianity and the Holocaust because the Nazis utilized the writings of Chrysostom and the writings of, of Luther to persecute Jews. So when you say, I'm a Christian, to many Jewish person, that's what they hear, right. that, that you're part of this ugly, bloody church history, as opposed to what you mean is, I'm a follower of Jesus. My life has been changed. I believe the Bible to be God's word. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And we really have no connection to some of those ugly parts of church history. So that's what I meant to say. When a Jewish person hears Christian, it can mean different things to them and often something that is the opposite of what we actually mean. All right. Well, sounds good. I appreciate that greatly. That clarified a whole lot, actually. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dustin. And hey, Dustin, you did something that some of my listeners have not done in, in over 11 years of daily radio which is call in. So you're a first-time listener, <laughs> first-time caller, and got right through. All right, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Scott, you have been to Israel now how many times? I have been on 34 tours that I've been responsible for leading. And have you been to Israel other times outside of a tour? Just a few other times speaking over there. One time with you, actually. It was my very, very first time in Israel. All right, so I've been out of the country overseas maybe 200 times. And I've been to India 26 straight times. I've been to Italy uh, 26 times. So 26 straight years, basically, to, to India. But you've beat me now to one nation. Unbelievable. Is, and you've done it just in the last few years, really. That's yeah. 10 years, roughly? Yeah, well, 2005 was my first trip. But really, the last 10 years is when I did most of the traveling there. Uh, all right. And you've done 34 tours. 34 tours. So right. it mu- you must dread do it. They must be deadly boring to well, do. Well, would you believe that not only do I not dread them, but I look forward to them? And here's why, bro. It's because every trip that we bring over there, lives are touched, lives are changed. When people see not only the amazing sights in Israel, but when they see the believers, the, the fulfillment of prophecy right now in the land of Israel, where God is not only bringing back his people to Israel, but they're getting saved and they're, they're sharing the gospel, Arab and Jew alike in the land of Israel. It is remarkable. And, and I'm getting emails. I just got back last uh, two nights ago from Israel and Greece. Just got an email yesterday from somebody who was on her trip. She said her life has changed, never to be the same. So not only do I not dread going, but I anticipate uh, because I know that everyone who comes with us, their lives are going to be changed. Not because I'm a great tour leader, but because this is the land that God chose for his people and he loves it. And, and is it a highly political tour where, where you, you talk about Israel's supremacy and the evil Palestinians? And is that, is that what you do? No, no. Not only do we not do that, but we shy away from that, not because politics are bad. But I really believe that if we can go over and have a biblical paradigm of how God feels about Israel— We're not going to come back hating the Palestinians. We're going to come back loving them. We're going to come back loving the nations that surround Israel who are their enemies and praying for them. And it's really remarkable to see that former enemies of Israel, former Muslims who were enemies of Israel, are having revelation of Jesus as Messiah and now embracing Israel. It's remarkable. It it is. You know, I, I was talking to some folks involved with Muslim evangelism and Muslim missions work around the world. And they were saying it's absolutely remarkable. 
Well, and these Muslims, many of them radical, when right. they get saved in the Middle East and in, in Northern Africa and in other countries, they become great lovers of Israel and the Jewish people. I, I met an Egyptian man, devout Christian, former terrorist, <laughs> and he said he was he's flying to Israel, and he often does, and he's sitting next to an Orthodox Jew, and they get, began to talk, and you know, the fellow said, what do you do? He said, I used to kill Jews for a living. Unbelievable. That's what he said. I mean, obviously, the, oh the guy's gosh. terrified now, but then he shares the gospel. He is more passionate about Israel and the Jewish people than I am. Incredible. So it's something remarkable. But when you have God's heart, you have his heart for the Jewish people, for the Israelis, for the Palestinians. You have his heart for the Muslim world. It's not that you love the one and hate the other. But, you know, think of this. Think of playing your favorite song for someone. They're hearing it for the first time. You never get bored, especially when like, wow, That's right. what a great song. So you go to Israel. I, I am amazed now as we go on tour number four. I'm amazed. Every trip, I'm amazed to see the impact. And then because I'm traveling all the time, I'm constantly running into people that are on different tours. They're still excited. Three years later, four years later, two years later, they're still excited about the tour. We'll, we'll tell you more when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. Can I tell you something really interesting as I sit here with my guest, dear friend, longtime colleague, Scott Volk, from the heart. As I have done videos, we have about 2,000 videos on the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel. On average, the likes versus dislikes, thumbs up versus thumbs down is like, you know, 95%, 90% thumbs up versus thumbs down. And that's obviously because most of the people that are following me on the channel are people who agree. And, and then there's constantly disagreement. And we get the nastiest, ugliest comments and posts literally day and night, sometimes by the, the minute. That just comes with being on public and settings and addressing controversial issues. But there are a few videos where the thumbs down are more than the thumbs up. It's just a handful. And you know which ones they are? <laughs> They're the ones where we call out Christian anti-Semitism, wow. where we expose the anti-Semitism, say, of, of Rick Wiles and True News or of, of E. Michael Jones or of Owen Benjamin. When we expose that or when we set, set the record straight about the Noahide laws or something like that, or explain the truth about the Talmud as, as people who do not follow the Talmud or believe in the Talmud, but just say, by the way, that's not true about the Talmud. Mm -hmm. So the spirit of anti-Semitism lives on today, even right within the church. If you have a Jewish-related question, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Scott, have you found that as people make this trip to Israel, that God does something supernatural in their hearts where their hearts break for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, or they have a fresh perspective of, of God's heart towards Israel? Because Jews are like everybody else. I say Jews are like anybody else, except more so. <laughs> you know, and and uh, so we have our good qualities and our bad qualities, sometimes in exaggerated form. But uh, what what do you make of that in terms of what happens in someone's yeah, heart it's a great to, question. to anti-Semitism? It's a great question. I'm reminded of one of the most amazing things that I've seen happen on a trip to Israel. We were there 
with a, a bunch of young millennials, and one gal in particular was very, very liberal in her thinking, and she, after the first night we were there, we were sitting together at dinner, and she said, um, I think that there's way too much of an emphasis on Israel. Um, I don't understand why we should support Israel. I think that you have an agenda in bringing us here. And I just said, listen, why don't, let's talk at the end of the trip. Mike, the next day we were on a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and right after our first break, we the, the music that came in was Hava Nagila. Uh-huh. Uh, do you... I don't. Do you literally know what Hava Nagila means? It's, it's it's something about praise. It's 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 like a reason. What, you think I might know? You it's, might know. Go, go ahead and give it to me. Yeah, it's come. Let us rejoice. Come, let us, let us yeah. rejoice. She had no idea. In the middle of the boat ride, this is after really coming at me the night before. She walks over to me and she says, "What? What do these words mean?" And I, I said, it's, it's a song about praise, the, the people of Israel thanking God for being back in their land and thanking God. And all of a sudden, this person who was against Israel just the night before starts crying. She says, I don't know what happens to me. This doesn't happen to me. I can't understand it. And bro, I could have opened the Bible. I could have tried to point her to scripture after scripture after scripture with regard to God's heart for Israel. But when God just breaks in with revelation, there's nothing, nothing that compares to that. So I see, bro, I see that when people come, if their hearts are open to God, he's going to open up their hearts to Israel. And it doesn't mean that when you have your heart open to Israel that it's closed to the Palestinians. As a matter of fact, when your heart is open to Israel, it's going to be open to the Palestinians. It's going to be open to the surrounding Arab nations who are currently enemies of Israel. It's just somehow something happens being in the land. Something happens when yeah. you, you literally walk where Jesus walked, where you, you look at, for what we understand, the end of the world will, will happen. Right. Yeshua will return. It's just, there's something about it. And look, I remember the first tour, you said, look, some of the people want to be baptized in the River Jordan. So I was like, no, that's hokey. We were both thinking it's kind of hokey. I, that is one of my favorite times on the trip. <laughs> it is sacred. It is amazing. And after the last trip, that night, because each night I'm with you, I, I teach at certain key places on the tour because there's a, there's a, a, a tour guide, amazing tour guide. You'll have one on each bus. Yeah. They do an amazing job. You'll love them. Uh, so they're giving you all the information. Then at certain key places, I'll be there to do a teaching. Then we have dinner together, you know, meet at different tables each night. And then right. every night, you can join me if you want. Q&A. Yeah. Join me as I do a radio show. But this last time, after the water baptisms, I taught about following Yeshua by life and by death. It was sacred. Yeah. It was absolutely sacred. So, friends, literally, there's limited space. We are in the process of filling up the second bus now. So now's the time to sign up. Go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and you'll see right on the homepage our banner, Holy Fire in the Holy Land, May 11th to May 20th. All right, we're going to go to the phones uh, we'll start in Dallas with Jeff. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, good afternoon, uh, Dr. Michael Brown and Scott. Good afternoon. Um, hey, I've been to Israel, and if there's anybody contemplating it, I suggest you to go. It's an amazing place. Um, but but the question I have is um, dealing with uh, Romans 11.25, where it says Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full yep. number of the Gentiles comes in. And I just want to get your uh, guys' uh, take on that in context with your theology, eschatology, and wouldn't we want to prioritize, therefore, um, 
the you know evangelizing of Gentiles over Israel if the, the fullness of uh, Israel is not going to uh, uh, materialize until uh, you know the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So just just want to get your thoughts. Yeah, great, great question, and thanks for the the seconding of our thoughts about Israel. So let me ask you a question: What if people did that and said, "Well, we better just reach the Gentiles first, and no one shared the gospel with Mike Brown, a Jewish teenager? Yeah, yeah no, I think that's a good question. I, I, I would say that uh, there really, in this day and age, there shouldn't be any priority, uh, prior, priority towards, you know, Jew or Gentile, that, um, you know, out of, the, out of the abundance of our hearts that we go and, um, you know, share the gospel with those with whom God places in our path, no matter right. who they are. Um, so, what, so do, what do you think Paul part... said? What do you think Paul said? Romans one sixteen that the gospel is for the Jew yeah. first and also for the Gentile. You know, some people try to say he just meant historically, but you can make a very strong argument, just like he uses that exact terminology in Romans two that judgment will come first in the Jew, then the Gentile, yeah. and blessing will come first in the Jew, then the Gentile. I, I'd explain it like this, Jeff. Obviously, we have to have a heart for both. So, for example, we have grads from our school all around the world. A handful are in Israel. The great majority of them are all around the world sharing the gospel with the nations. And obviously, that's just a numbers thing. There are, you know, seven and a half billion people on the planet, of which maybe 15 million are Jews. There should be an understanding that this gospel is for the Jew first, that it's the message of the Jewish Messiah, because most of the church has forgotten that. And most of the church fails to pray for the salvation of Israel and, and fails to think, okay, we should always be involved. If, if we don't have Jewish people in our community, we should be sowing into Jewish outreach and looking for that. But we know at the same time. So, so Jewish people coming to faith is always according to God's heart and always has an important role in the body. At the same time, we understand that the fullness of the Gentiles has to come in. Uh, both in terms of number and in terms of spiritual work. So world missions, this gospel of the kingdom being preached in all nations, then the end coming, that should be very, very high priority as well. So we can do both at the same time. We can say, let's make sure we're giving to Jewish outreach and praying for the salvation of the Jewish people, understanding that each one is kind of dependent on the other. The salvation of the nations, the fullness of the nations provokes Israel to jealousy Israel crying out to the Messiah brings the Lord back. So each one's like, "Come on, That's come good. on!" We, we, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a both and thing if you can hear it like that. Yeah. All right. I. Yeah, I would agree. Great, but thank you for the so, question and your heart. Yeah, thank and, you. and if, yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah blessing. Eight six six three four truth. Uh, let's go to Valerie in what a beautiful place, bountiful. Utah, Scott, had you ever heard of Bountiful Utah before? No, but I want to visit. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it Bountiful, by the way? I, I, I think we've gotten a call from Bountiful once before. I'm, I'm sure you hear this all the time. <laughs> but is it actually Bountiful in Bountiful Utah? Hi. Yeah, it is Bountiful, actually. <laughs> sweet, sweet. All right, thanks yeah, for putting up with us there. Yeah, it's actually just north, north of Salt Lake City. I'm in Mormon territory. <laughs> Got it. All right. So, well, hopefully you are being Bountiful <laughs> And the blessing of the Lord. Yes, go ahead, Valerie. <laughs> yes. Uh, first, I want to thank you for your show, and the reason why is because it's so unique. And I was very excited about learning about your um, show. I used to uh, listen to it all the time, but uh, I actually downloaded an app. If anyone doesn't know about it, it's Truth Network uh, in the uh, App Store. And so I'm able to listen to you now at home while I'm not in my car. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, um, the uh, 
I was listening to your opening statement about um, air quotes journalists on, I would say, YouTube, such as, and I'm not speaking for Owen Benjamin. Um, I do think he's come a long way. Uh, I've listened to him sort of like a, a you know, tongue-in-cheek. But uh, he is now beginning to understand the difference between the Zionist movement and the actual Israel. Um, I just noticed that about him. Some of them uh, and other uh, online journalists are beginning to do that, where in the beginning they were just like attacking the Jewish nation, period, and which I totally disagree with. I always believe in praying for Jews, and I agree with you about uh, the Jew first and then the Gentile. And um, But, uh, you know, one thing that I think, and I want to get your input on this, and maybe you'll talk about it more in future, you know, coming episodes, is about what uh, Revelation says about the synagogue of Satan, that they say they are Jews, but they are not. Yeah, and so, so yeah, Valerie, I've, I've, I've addressed that many, many times. If you'll go to my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, uh, you'll see where I've, I've just, just type in synagogue, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, type in synagogue, and you'll see uh, a video come up about the synagogue of Satan. Uh, in short, Revelation 2.9, Revelation 3.9, Jesus is speaking about people who are opposing the gospel from being preached, and he says they claim to be Jews and are not. So one possibility is they're not Jews at all. They were Gentiles, claiming to be Jews, but are not, just like earlier in Revelation 2, he speaks of those who claim to be apostles and were not. So it could be people falsely claiming to be Jews, and he says they're really a synagogue of Satan, and, and they are rebuked by him for opposing the gospel. Or they could be Jews who, because they're opposing the gospel, are, are acting like the devil's children and are therefore a synagogue of Satan. It's, it's just a strong prophetic rebuke. It's not saying that all Jews are the synagogue of Satan, or all Jews who don't believe in Jesus are the synagogue of Satan. But by the way, the Zionist movement just says that Jews deserve a homeland, and that that homeland is what we call Israel today. That's the Zionist movement, and we believe God promised it, so we are biblical Zionists. Thank you. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Our friend Paul Wilber, what a joy when we do these Israel conferences with Paul, Scott, and it's just, it's amazing, it's yeah. a blessing to, to see by the way, Owen Benjamin, conservative comedian who has come out with some very strong anti-Semitic statements in recent months and then has been on, had on with him, E. Michael Jones, uh, who's a Catholic anti-Semite. Uh, I would love to know that there's change and that he's changing his position. That would be wonderful. He's refused to dialogue with me or come on my show or have me on his, but I'm not aware of any evidence to that effect. Scott, what do you make of, of anti-Semitism. I'm sitting here with Scott Volk, his new book, his first book, his best book. Uh, best, <laughs> it's definitely the best so far you've written. Best. Uh, yeah. So uh, Jesus is Not a Christian is the name of the book. It's a great read. You'll find it eye-opening and practical as well. Scott, what do you make of the spirit of anti-Semitism? Why do you think there is 
an unusual hatred yeah. for Jewish people worldwide. The remarkable. I think you can trace it back to the Garden of Eden, bro. When, uh, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, God made a promise and actually prophesied over the serpent that one was coming in Genesis 3. He prophesied that one was going to come that would crush his head. Mm. From that time on, God was looking for a people through whom Messiah could be birthed, and he found Abraham. Back then, his name was Abram. He found Abram and made a promise to Abram that through Abram's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So if Satan knew that one was coming that was going to crush his head and that it was going to come through the seed of Abraham, no wonder there's been a diabolical plot to wipe Israel off the map from Israel's inception. And it's diabolical because there's no human understanding. There's no human way of even trying to figure out why such a vitriolic hatred can be for so many centuries. You call it the longest hatred, and I'll, I'll never, or, or maybe you borrowed that, but uh, it's it's the longest. What? Tell me what you say about it. Yes. Yeah, so, the, so Edward Flannery, Catholic scholar Edward Flannery, refers to it as the the world's longest hatred. It's also the world's most irrational hatred. It's the world's most widespread hatred and one with a sustained violence, which is unique over this period of time. And by the way, Scott, do you have the, the new edition of, of Our Hands to Stand with Life? I don't, but if you'd sign one for me, I would uh, gladly I will, take it. I one. will gladly sign. You know, the signed ones are more expensive. You oh, know. oh, is that right? That's yeah, yeah. awesome. But today, for you, it's a gift. For you, it's a awesome, gift. Awesome. Thank um, you. Yeah, so, but seriously, uh, we've updated the book. And, yeah. and Scott, it was jarring for me to update it. Mm. Genuinely jarring because things that I had read about in the past, I was now writing about happening wow. today. Shocking, even blood curdling. So the new Ugh. edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, uh, I, I believe will be a must read, a real eye opener for, and especially if you don't understand God's heart for Israel and what's the big right. deal and isn't the church the new Israel, you'll find the book to be a real eye opener. Uh, let me read a question, Scott, from Melody. She said, I'm a Gentile. I've been in ministry for 25 years, from cleaning churches to teaching youth and adults, pastoring with my husband, speaking at women's conferences. I'm so angry. Years of studying Scripture just to find out that Christian Bibles have errors in translation, especially Hebrew. I cannot find a Bible with correct Hebrew and Greek translations like the Pentateuch, which the rabbis use, and a New Testament, which a Messianic rabbi would use. I must learn all I can. There's a goldmine of facts that can help to increase the kingdom of God. Please tell me where and which Bible will be the most accurate translation. I appreciate anything you can do. Scott, I know a lot of people feel like they've been lied to, deceived. The fact of the matter is, major Christian translations are, are fine renderings, and it's not like people are trying to cover something up. But if you want something that will ring more true in terms of how things would have sounded or felt in the first century, then, you know, if we talk about the letter of Jacob versus the letter of James, right. that's just a little bit of a reminder. <laughs> Uh, if, if a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, is studying the Pentateuch, they're studying it in Hebrew, but then they're studying it in the light of rabbinic tradition, which adds all kinds of extra things and understandings to it. So I, would, I would just say get a Bible like the Tree of Life Bible. Don't throw out your, your Christian translations as if they're evil or bad. Read right. them, enjoy, be enriched, and, and grow from it. But if you want something that will give you a bit more of a Messianic perspective, Messianic Jewish perspective, the Tree of Life version, TLV, uh, I was on the committee that worked on that. The TLV, Tree of Life version, I think will be just what you're looking for. Um, okay, let's go to Jim in Mineral Wells, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. 
I've enjoyed your uh, program for uh, about a year now. Well, thank you. Um, been able to pick it up. I've got a question about the. Uh, there has been some uh, things about the Jewish uh, kingdoms in southern France um, on the internet. Uh, the thing back during the Carolinian period, where um, after Martel, uh, Charles Martel, and uh, Charlemagne. Uh, recaptured the uh, southern France uh, from the Moors that they needed somebody of Jewish descent to uh, govern the area. And I was wondering, have you uh, read anything about that? Do you think it's valid? Or and what, What's the point that's coming out of it? You know, you can read about the expulsion of the Jews from France in, in 1182. Uh-huh. Uh, so well, obviously was, there, there was... are Jews in France and have been for many centuries since. Um, uh-huh. But the, what's the specific? Is there uh, like a point to this? Is, is there something more well, in terms of what you're reading on internet? Is there a? Is, there a, uh, is it a validation? Uh, is there a validation of where Charlemagne or his father brought a uh, governor from um, uh, Jewish ancestry to act as a governor over this area, since he supposedly didn't understand? Uh, how to take care of the people that he was now he is now the king over. Yeah. Okay. This this could be true, uh, but is is something I have not studied personally um, in terms of more recent uh-huh. Jewish history, like the last thousand years. Um, I, I'm looking at a it's website here that uh, asked the question: Did a Jewish king of Narbonne exist uh, in today's edition yeah, of Le Mans? Right. So this is five years ago. Uh, Marek Halter mentioned something about Jewish uh, kings in Carolinian France, recognized by Charlemagne, probably using Arthur Zuckerman's Jewish kingdom in feudal France, 1972. Uh, A quick Mm -hmm. check on Wikipedia says that this theory was rebutted by scholars, including, and then it gives a a list here. Um, I'm not familiar with it, but if this report is accurate, the idea has been rebutted. I'm just trying to look. Are there sources in English, or are they just in French? Anyway, look up look up Marek Halter, M-A-R-E-K Halter, H-A-L-T-E-R, and you may be able to find out more from there. Hey, thank you for the question, and sorry I didn't have more information for you. Um, real quick, in Toronto, Nick, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks, Doctor. I'll make this quick. Uh, in Matthew twenty-four, two, uh, the Jesus was talking about the one stone not uh, being left on top of another. Yeah. And what about the Western Wailing Wall? Does that nullify the uh, uh, prophecy at all? Is that a rebuilt temple, or can you just give me your comments on yeah, that? Yeah, of, of course. So, first thing, Matthew twenty-four is talking about the temple complex, the buildings of the temple themselves. The, the Western Wall, called the Kotel, the Wall in, in Hebrew, was extraneous to that. So it was outside of that area. That's, that's the first thing. So that did, did remain standing, but the temple buildings, the, the, the temple proper was completely leveled, completely destroyed. But in Luke, Jesus says that in Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be flattened. Not one stone will be left on another. That's prophetic speech as well. In, in other words, as my colleague Steve Alt pointed out at Fire School of Ministry, when the city was flattened and when the Romans did exactly what Jesus said would happen and when the massive temple walls were, were overthrown, I mean, it seemed impossible to do, and the Romans did it. 
the last thing you'd be doing is like, well, there's a wall standing there, so Jesus was wrong. No, you'd be like, oh, my. It happened just as he said. So you may have a little structure here or there that remains standing, but the place was level. Scott, what's it like every year on the tour, and as you do several tours a year now, when, when the tour group for that special day makes their way to the wall and they see it for the first time and, and spend time praying there, what, what happens? Yeah, it's absolutely remarkable. The Western Wall is actually a retaining wall upon which the platform for the temple actually stood. Um, and it's the closest place that Jewish people today can get to where the Holy of Holies was. So not only do you see devout Jewish people praying at the wall and sticking their uh, prayers into the cracks yeah, in so the writing wall. writing a note, a prayer request, and sticking, yeah, sticking it in. But you'll see people from every nation of the world, women on one side, men on another, going and, and spending time at the wall. It's a remarkable sight. We have a great team on the ground Dr. Brown, David Katz, who's one of our dear friends, helping to make sure that everything is taken care of. And I look forward to bringing our group in May of 2020 to the Western Wall. And you know what? Right next to the Western Wall are the southern steps of the temple upon which we know that Messiah Yeshua actually walked up. We know that he stepped on those steps to get to the temple itself. It's one of those remarkable, remarkable places that nobody will ever forget. Yeah, and it's it's look, we understand that we seek God in the spirit and that we live in the spirit and that what's holy is, is his presence and his spirit. But when you're at a place where history has taken place and where millions of people have prayed and poured yeah. out their heart to God and you can pray right next to a religious Jew and he's probably praying for the coming of the Messiah and you're next to him saying, oh, God, open his eyes to the reality of the Messiah. It's, it's very, very sacred. Friends, join us May 2020. Go yeah. to Ask Dr. Brown. Org. You'll see a banner right on the homepage. Sign up. Scott and I can't wait to see you there. And check out his new book, Jesus Was Not a Christian.